Why don't you go, uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. If you, if you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we have people with a Bible who'd love to get a Bible into your hands. So if you forgot your Bible, throw your hand up. If you didn't bring a Bible, throw your hand up for sure and grab one of these as our gift to you and go to the book of Ephesians. If you're unfamiliar with God's Word, if you, if you go to the New Testament, kind of the, the last half of the book, you hit the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then you start to get into these letters and you, you'll eventually find Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 is we're going to be this morning. You know, there are a lot of things that I, uh, I love about our church. I think one of them is that we want to keep the main thing the main thing. That, that we want to be sure that, that, that what we're doing here, that we're not going to get wrapped up in, in peripheral things, in things that, that kind of don't really matter when, when, when you put them up against what the main thing that matters is. And, and what is that? What is the main thing? I mean, I think a lot about what, what, what church could be about, what we could get all riled up about, all fired up about. And, and I got to tell you, there's, there are things that are important, but there are things that I, I don't really, don't really I'm not going to burn at the stake over these things, all right? Like, like if you want to argue about, we should always sing hymns, or we should sing newer music, I'm not going to the stake for that, right? Like, like blow the match out, I'll sing hymns, I don't care, right? It doesn't matter so much, right? What would I die for, though? What, what, what truly is something we would say we're about as a church? This is life transforming. What, what do we hold up as this is what we're about? You know, as the Apostle Paul, as he, he's the one who wrote the, the letter here to the church in Ephesians. In another letter he wrote to the Corinthian church, he said in 1 Corinthians 15, he says that, that the one thing that's the most important for him this is a guy who planted churches all over. This is a guy who gave his life for, for Jesus. This is a guy who, who trained up other pastors. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15 that what we're about to talk about this morning, he says this is the first importance. Of everything else he wrote, everything else he talked about, everything else he taught, he would say, hey, let this be of first importance. He says, hey, hey, be sure you don't mess this up. If you're going to mess anything else up, don't mess this up. Because if you mess this up, nothing else makes sense. This morning, what we're going to talk about, we want to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to talk about the, the love and the grace and the mercy of God displayed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, as we unpack this from Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, what, what is it about the grace of God? What, what is it about why we would say this is what matters to us as a church? Well, if you're taking notes, here's our first point this morning. God's grace changes everything. God's grace, it changes everything. And that's a, a pretty big statement to make that, that I'm, I'm about to share something with you that'll change everything for you. If, if you're someone who's been in a Bible-believing church for, for any amount of time, you, you would say, yeah, yeah, that, that statement doesn't shock me. I would say the same thing, that it's all about God's grace. It would be one of, as we're going through this series on the attributes of God, for, for most of us, it, it would be like maybe our number one attribute, maybe at least in the top three. Like this is what I love about the Lord, that he's poured out his grace on us. But here, here's my question for us this morning. Do we truly understand how God's grace changes everything? I mean, do, do we really get that? I mean, th this passage here, all about God's grace, I'm going to read it for you this morning. It says this, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and, we, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. 
but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And, and raised up with him and seated, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This passage, if you're not catching it as we read through it there, this passage is all about grace. You see it in verse 5, talking about grace. Verse 7, talking about grace. Verse 8, talking about grace. But do we really get how amazing this grace is? There are some of you, listen, I've spoken with you, and whenever you talk about grace, your eyes tear up. There are some here, whenever we talk about grace, you well up with, yes, amen. Because you have this tangible sense, this experience of the life-changing Experience of God's grace, the power of God's grace. You, you've been radically transformed by the truth of his grace. Now, if this isn't you, if, if you don't really have that kind of relationship when you, when you hear about the grace of God, you don't really have that kind of reaction where you don't, you don't really go, man, this is everything. You, you may not understand God's grace. You may not understand the depths of his love and his mercy. Here's what I mean. When we talk about grace, one of the ways you can describe grace is we could say it's a, a free gift from God. It's right here in this passage in, in verse 8. You see it there. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. So it's this gift. It's, it's something you didn't earn. It's something you don't work for. It's something you didn't achieve. It's something you don't pay for. It's 100% free. But here, here's the thing. Just because it's free, that doesn't make it life-changing. Just because it's free, here's what I mean. If you're new to harvest, you get this free gift, right? You go out to that, that table. If you're, you're brand new, like, hey, I want to find out more about harvest. We, we got like a bunch of information stuffed in this little mug, and it's a, a free gift of this mug, which is a, it's a great mug, right? Here's the thing. Will this mug change your life? I don't mean to disappoint you as you're going to get the free gift of this mug. No, it will not change your life, all right? Now, it's free. It's free, but it's, it's not going to change your life. Why? Why? Because it's, it's not essential. You don't need that mug. It's not something that you desperately need to have. And it's not that costly. It's, it's not essential. Here's, a, here's what I mean. You probably have a bunch of mugs at home, right? And, and, and if you don't, if you're the one person in all of Muskoka, you have zero mugs at home, you could probably roll by any Walmart or Salvation Army and grab one pretty easily. They're not really that costly, not essential and not costly. So even though it's free to grab this mug, it doesn't change your life. Why? Because it's not essential to you. It's not costly. Now, now here's the thing. If, if you are growing up in the slums of Brazil, and it was discovered you had a disease that was killing you. And you needed life-saving medical attention, and you could not afford it. And, and it wasn't even available to you in the slums where you were growing up. And then someone, someone near you sold all their possessions to pay for you to get that medical attention. That's a free gift to you as well. That gift changes your life. Right? It's so different than just a gift of a free mug. Why? Because it's, it's costly and it's essential for you. 
What we're going to see from this passage here is just that, that God's grace, God's mercy, God's love, not just free, but infinitely needed and infinitely costly. Right, look at verse 1. Verse 1 says this, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. If you're taking notes, here's our next point this morning. It's this, that, that God's grace is our only hope. God's grace is our only hope. It says here that we were dead. We were spiritually dead. Before, before you give your life to Christ, you were dead. And it notice it says, who's dead? You were dead. So, so our problem where we need God's grace to, to come in, our problem is not other people. Our problem is not, well, this culture is so warped. That's, that's not our problem. It's not our government. It's not the world. It says here, the problem is me. In my natural condition before Christ, I was dead. Dead in my trespasses, it says. Your, your trespasses are this, that you go away from the way of God. God has a way to live, and, and Jesus says, be holy as God is holy. And God says, that's the way I live. And in trespasses, we wander off of that way dead in our trespasses and our sin. Sin, just another way of saying the same thing. To sin means you miss the mark, that God has a mark to hit, a moral target, and to sin means we miss it. And so as human beings, we may be physically alive, but there's a spiritual deadness that shows itself in the sinful actions we do. In fact, I would say this, it's saying you were dead in your sins. Your sins are, are not just the cause of your death. They're actually they're, they're the symptom of what's going on. They, they show that we are dead. It's the evidence of our death. Let, let me say what I mean by that. I, I mean this, when, you have, when you're coughing and sneezing, the, the coughing and sneezing don't make you have a cold. They're, they're the evidence that you have a cold, Right? When we sin, we sin, we sin, we, we do these actions of sin because of the deadness of who we are outside of Christ, because we were sinners, because we were born into sin, and without Christ, we are dead in sin. If you have kids, you, you get this, right? You, you understand this concept pretty clearly. No one taught my kids how to sin. All right, we, we didn't have sin lessons every morning. Gather around, girls. Here's how you be selfish. Here's how you be rude. Here's how you, right? No, nobody teaches our kids to sin. It, it doesn't come from their environment. When, when, when my kids were babies and they would throw down food that they didn't like, it's not like they saw the same action in our house. It's not like, like Libby would make turnip one morning. Turnip, bun, I'd throw it on the floor. My kid's like, okay, that's what I do. Bun, right? That's not how it happens, right? My, my kids never see me saying to, to my wife when she, she grabs the TV remote, mine, and pulling it back, right? <laughs> okay, maybe they do see that one. <laughs> no, they, they wouldn't, right? And yet, yeah, what happens? Our kids just do that, don't they? Selfishly is, selfishness is, is naturally there in them. The Bible says, why? Because we're dead. Understand what he says here, you were dead. We're, we're not just sick, all right? There are degrees in sickness, right? There, there's a big gap between a runny nose and leukemia. Scripture says it's not just that you're sick, you're dead in your sin. So, so, so we can't say, well, yeah, I, I'm, I got a little bit of sin. I'm not super sinful. I, I've done a couple of things, some smaller things, but I'm not as bad as some people are. And when we say that, what are we saying? We're believing that we're just sick, that I just need Dr. God to give me a little bit of help to, to kind of perk me up a little bit so I'll be okay. But no, without Jesus, we are dead. We're dead. 
Flip over a a page. Flip over to, to, to verse 18 of chapter 4 in Ephesians. You'll see this deadness played out here. Verse 18 says that without Christ, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Flip back to to chapter 2 again. It says, you are dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Why are we walking this way? Because we are dead. Because we are darkened in our standings. Because our hearts are hard. And it says here, which once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. In that darkness, in that hard-heartedness, we walk around lost. We just follow the flow of the world, and there's, there's this, this strong pull in us to the wrong direction. So, so here's what it's saying. Not just individually are you dead outside of Christ, but there's this collective deadness that pulls us all in that same direction, that you will always find somebody. Listen, you can always find someone who will justify your sin. You know, you're so right to be bitter. Yeah, I wouldn't forgive that person either. Well, yeah, I mean, I know you cheated a little bit on your taxes, but everybody does it. It's okay to do that. Listen, the whole world walking in that direction, and and we're pulled in that same way. The situation is bad. We're dead. We're broken to the core of our being, but not just dead, not just following the way of the world. Look at how verse 3 finishes up. Who what? We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath. We talked about this last week, that we're under the wrath of God. We're enemies of God. And there's absolutely nothing we can do to fix our own problem. Dead, lost, blind, under the wrath of God, the righteous wrath of God. So that if, if God were to say, I'm done, and we're wiped out, God would be righteous in doing it. And it seems pretty bleak, doesn't it? As a Christian, that's how you were. If you don't know Christ, saying here, that's who you are. And it is so humbling when you think about this. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He's saying, hey, listen, blessed are the ones who who recognize that you are, are spiritually bankrupt. Not just that you're, you're kind of a bit behind spiritually. I mean, if I could just, if Jesus could come along as, as a, maybe a, he could perk me up a little bit. He could give me some coaching a little bit. Maybe then I could just be a, a little bit better. I could turn over a new leaf. No, no, I needed a resurrected Savior who would give me new life because we're spiritually dead, bankrupt. That we have nothing before a holy God. So unless God comes in with an unbelievable charity, unless he completely saves you, you can't be saved. We don't need to be improved. We don't need to be edited. We don't need to be updated. We don't need to be enhanced. I need to be forgiven and restored and redeemed and resurrected. I need to be saved. And that's, listen, listen, that's what grace is. Sinners who were lost and dead and blind and poor, saved by God's mercy and God's love. This, listen, this is why God's grace changes everything. It's not just free, which it is. 
but it's absolutely essential for our life. It is our only hope as those who are under the wrath of God. How do we see this grace played out? Look at verse 4. After all of that, all of that explaining our situation outside of Christ, the bad news of of where we're at, look at verse 4. But God. I love that. But God. John Stott said that those are the greatest two syllables ever spoken in the English language. But God. But God. We were lost and dead, but God. But God. There's, There's grace explained just in those two words. But God. What's it say? But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. But God. We see this gospel, we see this grace in the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, our our third point this morning is that God's grace in Christ. How do we see God's grace in Christ? We see his love, we see his mercy, and and it's amazing to think that, that his love for you as one who was so lost, that he would set his love on you so strongly that he would pour out this love while you were a sinner, while you were his enemy. Tim Keller says it this way. You'll hear it a lot in our church where he says, you are more sinful than you'd ever care to admit. This is what the gospel is. The gospel is you are more sinful than you'd ever care to admit. Before you'd ever tell anybody that you're more sinful than even that, but listen, you're also more loved than you'd ever dare imagine. Verse 4 says that his love is great. His mercy is rich. How great is his love? How how rich is his mercy? Listen, it's infinite. You you can't measure it. His mercy and his grace and his his love are are so rich, so so great is that this, that that no matter the sin you've done, no matter the size of your sin, no matter the, the duration of your sin, it is not too great for God's grace. Why? Because his grace is unearned, it's undeserving, it's unending, it's unfailing. It will never leave you. Spurgeon says this, he says, it will be with you, God's grace will be with you in temptation to keep you from yielding, with you in trouble to keep you from sinking, with you in your living to be the light and life of your countenance, with you in dying to be the joy of your soul when earthly comfort is ebbing fast. How do we see this grace played out? We see it most clearly in Jesus Christ. Look at verse five. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's God, God saying this, that his grace was displayed in the perfect life of Jesus Christ, in the, the death he died on our behalf as he was resurrected. And what's it do for us? That this, this life, death, and resurrection of Christ, it says here, it makes us alive. Spiritually dead people are raised to life with Christ. What else does it say? It says that we're, verse 6, we're also seated in the heavenly places. That we now have the, the benefits that Christ has as, as God the Son. We, we're co-heirs, rightful heirs with Christ. We're, we're adopted into God's family as sons and daughters. It's a done deal for a Christian. I love that. It's not try harder, do more, and hopefully one day you'll make it. 
They're saying, it's done. It has to be done because you were dead. You don't reach out as a dead person. God reaches to you and says, no, I'm loving. I'm pouring my grace out on you, and it's done. In fact, these words here, it says, you've been raised. You are seated. It's past tense. It's finished. It's completed. What's that mean? It means if you're here this morning and you're under the weight of trials or, or discouragement, you can know that, that God's already in your future, that it's done. If God went to such lengths to pour out his love and mercy on you, that Jesus would die in your place, certainly he loves you enough in this financial struggle that you're in. Certainly he knows about your prodigal son or daughter and can reach them. If he's taken care of your sin that left you dead eternally and he's raised you to new life, if you're battling illness, Listen, even if it beats you physically, you can know you're eternally secure. That you will make it in the end. In fact, here's the verse that, I, that would come to mind. I got up here on the screen for you, Romans 8, 31 and 32. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see what's saying there? See, this is our, our hope. The hope of the gospel is our hope for eternity. But, but listen, brother and sister in Christ, it's your hope for today as well. God's grace and his mercy poured out in Christ shows that his love and mercy is for you today. Maybe this whole sermon, maybe, maybe for you this morning, this, this whole sermon is for you to hear this, that he has not forgotten about you, that, that he's at work for you and for his glory. And this love he poured out, it was not small. Remember what I said at the beginning, that, that for, the, for a gift to be life-changing, it has to be essential, and we've seen that it's essential. Without it, we're dead, we're lost. But it also was so costly. Look at verse seven. He did all this so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. His immeasurable riches. This gift you're given is, is, is so costly. You get everything that Christ deserves. It says here you're united with Christ. You're, you're made alive together with Christ. You're seated together with Christ. You're raised up together with Christ. As, as a Christian, you have everything that Christ deserves. Amen. You're united with Jesus. But this is where God gets the glory in this. This is unbelievable. This is God's grace on display. Jesus is also united with us. We get what he deserves because he took what we deserved. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. That we might become the righteousness, righteousness of God in him. Jesus took what we deserved, so we get what he deserves. Do you get that? Do you get that, that, that grace displayed in that, that? That God unites us so that he sees Christ when he sees us. He sees Christ's righteousness. Why? Why? Because he treated Jesus according to our sin. 
We deserve death. We should be separated from God. And, and we don't get that. Why? Because Jesus got all that on the cross. He, he didn't just physically die on the cross on our behalf. right? He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Somehow, in that moment, he was separated from the Father. And he experienced the, the spiritual death we all deserve. I mean, this gift is so costly. Think about it. Imagine you're sitting at home with a friend and, and you're busy doing something in your house and, and the doorbell rings and your friend says, hey, I'll go get the door for you. And, and they go to the door and they're there for a bit. They come back after being at the door and they say, hey, was somebody collecting a, a bill for you, a bill that you owed? I, I took care of it. Don't worry about it. How would you feel? How would you respond to that? Right? It, it, it kind of depends on, on what the bill was, doesn't it? Like if it was your paper boy, do they still have paper boys? Does that still happen anymore? Okay, remember when we had paper boys, right? If it was the paper boy and, and he was collecting like the $5 for the week of papers, you'd be like, hey, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get you next time. Maybe it was an Amazon delivery that was COD, cash on delivery, and it was a $200 bill, and, and your friend paid that. How, how would you respond to that? You'd be like, what? Thank you. That's amazing you would do that. What if it was the CRA and they had two police officers with them? And they're about to take you away because you had decades of unpaid taxes. And, and the, your friend paid that. I think it would be more than just, hey, thanks. You would be in tears. You'd be, I can't believe that you would do that, that you would pay that much for me, that you would do that on my behalf. Man, I could never repay that. The life-changingness of the gift depends how big the bill was. It all depends on how costly it is. Listen, if you're a Christian, you are saved by the grace of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. I mean, if that doesn't fill you with joy and amazement at God's grace, it's likely you're forgetting how dead you were. It's likely you're forgetting how internal, eternally in debt you were. It says in verse 7, so in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The, the grace of God in Christ. And then we then respond to it with worship. And I can't believe this has happened. The, the change in us. Why does it happen? It's to show the watching world glory of God's life-changing mercy and life-changing grace. Are we doing that? would people see God's grace displayed in your life? God's grace that would, that would say that we, as a bunch of messed up, screwed up people, that we, that we could now say, in Christ, I am a saint, I'm a child of God, I'm a co-heir with Christ. That, that we would recognize that we are this family of pardoned rebels. And, and that we're here on display as masterpieces, not of our own work, but as masterpieces of God's grace in Christ. And in that, our lives can point to the glory of God. I mean, this is why we gather together on Sunday to worship together, to, to point our attention, to point our affection and our worship to the one who poured out love on us. And what do we do? We gather together to remind each other 
of God's grace. Why? So that we can then live out this grace. We can live it out with others. We, we, we can reflect on the love and mercy we've been shown and we show it to others. Because I've, I've said this before, that, that a church should be the safest place for sinners. That when, when people fall into brokenness and, and they fall into a place where they, they know they shouldn't be, where's the first place they want to go? Unfortunately, it's not always church. But shouldn't it be? Shouldn't people say, man, I got to get to that church because I've fallen into something. I know there's going to be grace for me there. I mean, our, our church should be filled with stories of, of grace displayed in the lives of each other. It is anti-gospel for us to hold bitterness and unforgiveness towards a brother or sister. I mean, if there's been true repentance in sin that's been done against us, who are we to withhold love and mercy? Listen, maybe this is for you this morning. I mean, is there somebody who, you, who even here in church, you walk into church and you have to avoid contact with them? Listen, for the glory of God, work it out. Work it out. Walk in the grace and the love and the mercy that you've been shown in Christ. In fact, I would say this. If, if there's somebody here this morning where there's that kind of a broken relationship, there's, there's been repentance, you're still holding on to something, that bitterness or unforgiveness, I'd say here's your assignment this morning. It's not come up to the front and pray with people who are up here. It's go find that person and work it out. Display love and grace. Live out the gospel you've been given. We're displaying this to a watching world that's looking in so that God would get the glory. And man, I can't believe how loving that place is. It's because of God. Man, I can't believe how forgiving you are. Not in myself. It's Jesus. Here's our last point this morning. God's grace in our lives. God's grace in our lives. I mean, that's the outworking of God's grace in us, isn't it? Where grace changes us. We become these people who live more patiently, who live more graciously, who live more forgiving, who are more long-suffering, more gentle, more joyful, more generous. And we're doing this because we're showing a world, God's glory, as we live out of our lives as those who have been completely transformed by God's mercy and by God's grace. And we live out as this family of pardoned rebels. As people who never run out of God's mercy. Love, God's love is so great. His mercy is so rich. If you've put your faith in Christ, your identity, your eternity, your standing before God is eternal and sure. Look at verse 8. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. This is not about other people. This is not about even what you're doing on your own. It says this, this gift of God. And, and where does it begin? To, to see that it's a gift from God. It begins with understanding your need. And, and you become a Christian. Listen, when you understand your need, when you say, I can't do this on my own. I need a Savior. I'm helpless, I'm, I'm too far in debt, I'm dead and I'm lost. And in faith, which listen, is also a gift from God, that faith you have, even your faith given, you, given to you by God because you were dead, in faith, by grace, you cry out, I need Jesus. And then faith, what it is, it just means to put your full weight on that truth, to, to rest your life on the truth that, that God's grace was given to you through Christ. Where you see the, your need, and, and rather than trying to put your weight on, if I do more good works, if I do this better, 
You move over and put your weight on Jesus Christ. You rest in his grace. It doesn't mean you have all the confidence in the world. But even in your doubt, you rest. It's saying, Jesus, I, I don't fully understand this, but, but I'm putting my life on you. I'm, I'm grabbing a hold of you as the hope of my soul. That's the beginning of the journey for what it looks like to, to grab a hold of God's grace. And for some of you this morning, that's the message you need to hear, that, that to begin this journey, say, I'm, I, I've been trying to do this on my own. I've been kind of going through the religious thing. I've been doing all these good works and hoping I'd be, be okay. And then you're hearing this morning, you're not. This morning's the morning you say, God, I see it now. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. So Jesus, I trust you. If here this morning you're already a Christ follower, listen, don't think that that's the way you cried out at the beginning and, then, and that's the last time you cry that out. I need Jesus. No way. Our life following Christ is a, a life that experiences the beauty of God's grace every day, the reality of God's grace every day, when every day you say, I can't do this, Jesus. I need you completely. I can't raise my kids. I can't love my spouse. I, I can't overcome this addiction. I, I can't fight this temptation. I, I can't find my fulfillment in work. I, I can't stand up under this trial. I can't manage my singleness. I, I can't hold myself up in my childlessness. I can't stand up under what other people say about me or think about me. I mean, if you can relate to any of that and you feel helpless in it, welcome. This is the right place to be. Christianity is about a, a people who have found out how helpless they are in themselves and they're faithfully resting in, trusting in, putting their hope in the amazing grace of God. Not, not simple, not just I'll just kick back and rest. No, no, you're wrestling down the promises of God promised to me through Christ that I've been raised to new life, seated in the heavenlies. I'm holding on to that in the midst of what I see around me. And God, that's the reality that's, that speaks over my life. Look at verse 9. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. And grace is so amazing. We aren't saved because of anything we've done. We, we, we can, here's what it means. I can't look down on anybody else. Psh, can't believe the sin you're struggling with. Really? Really? Because nothing in you or me caused God to pour out grace on us. We can't boast in anything we've done. If you understand grace completely, it fills you completely with humility because you realize, no, I'm the pardon rebel. If you're here this morning as somebody looking for God's grace, again, it doesn't matter how big the sin, it doesn't matter how, how long you've been in it, it doesn't even matter how recently you pursued it. God's mercy is not about your works. It's about the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf on the cross. Here's the way I would say it. Jesus is the only one who could have actually boasted. Jesus is the only one who could have stood up and said, look at my life. Look at what I've done. Jesus could have stood up and said, look, look at who I am. And, and then he could have said, give me what I want. I want the whole world. But instead, what did he do? He humbled himself and became like us. He became a rebel, died in our place. Jesus stood up and he took the depart from me for I don't know you so that we could hear, well done, good and faithful servant. 
I mean, it's so humbling if you think about it. I mean, you can't read these verses and then walk out of here this morning going, I'm pretty awesome. Well, you walk out saying, man, God is awesome. God's grace, it, it ends our boasting. And if the love and the mercy of God has cleansed you from all your sins, it makes you boast about Jesus, not yourself. You, you worship Jesus. You, you look to Jesus. You come to Jesus. Jesus who says, come all who are weary and need rest. I'll give you rest. Humility also leads us to say this, leads us to say, Jesus, I, I want to be where you are. If, if you're the one who's done this for me, I want to follow you. Look at verse 10. Here, here's the result of this in our lives. Verse 10 says, for we are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we don't, we don't get it by good works, but we've been created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the grace that changes you. And I've said this before, and imagine if um, this morning I got up here on stage and I said, hey, I just parked my car, and as I was coming across the, the road there in between the parking lot and here in the church as I crossed the road, man, I didn't see it, but this, this semi-truck came and it hit me and it ran me over. And then it stopped because it wondered what it hit and it backed up to see what it was. It ran me over again. I mean, it, it broke all the bones in my body, man. I'm bloody and messed up. And you'd be like, no, you weren't. Why would you not believe that? Because if that actually had happened, you would see it all over me right now. You, you would see the evidence of that. I would look different if I was actually hit by a truck. Listen, when you've been hit by God's grace, there are results that people see. I mean, how could you have this kind of grace poured out on you and it not change you? Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. The life I live in the flesh, I used to live in the flesh, I now live in faith and the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The whole picture here is this, in, in Ephesians 2, is this, the whole, as it comes to the end, and you hit verse 10, it's this, that this whole gospel, if you understand it correctly, if you, if you grab a hold of what it truly means, it should be, lead to a radically changed life. A new birth, as Scripture would say. We've been united with Christ in his death, in his resurrection. We, we've now become an entirely new creation. We look and we act different. In faith, we walk differently. Why? Because we've been radically changed by the costly and essential gift of God's grace. How do we do that? How, how do I walk differently? How do you walk differently as a Christ follower? You do it by daily reminding yourself of this grace, by, by trusting in this grace and this mercy he poured out to you, and you cling to these promises of God in every circumstance, saying, this is the reality of who I am in Christ. This is who God is. And then we walk, it says here, you walk in the works that he's already prepared beforehand for you. You tuck in behind Jesus in obedience as he leads you and works. He's already planned. He's already given you the power to accomplish. And he, he writes the story of your life for his glory. So what is God calling you to today? What works has he prepared for you as, as a husband or a father? What works has he prepared for you as a, a wife or a mom? What works has he called you to as a single person today, as a student here today? What's he calling you to? That word workmanship there, we are his workmanship 
It's a word that, that, that's related closely to another word that was used in Genesis, the same idea of, of God's creation, of his workmanship, where, where in creation, God took nothing and out of nothing created something. He didn't start with like a bunch of materials, all, all put these together. No, he spoke light into darkness. He, he brought light into, into darkness and life into death. When God saved you, he, he took a righteousness that did not exist in you, not at all in you, and he spoke it into being. And that, that same power that he worked in creation, that same power as, as, that is at work in the resurrection of Christ. Scripture says that power is at work in you right now. So what do we do? We tuck in behind Jesus in trusting, in faith, and saying, Jesus, you're going to do this work through me. So as the worship team comes up this morning, let, let me ask you this as we finish off in worship. Do you know this morning that, that you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior? You start out this journey by saying, I'm dead, I'm lost, I need you. Maybe that's your cry this morning. If you're a Christ follower this morning, you continue the journey in the same way. By, by reaching out, by saying to Jesus, I, I was lost, I was dead, I, 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 I was blind, you save me. And so again, I surrender this truth today. You know, in Luke 18, we read about a blind man who was crying out as Jesus walked by, and he was saying, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Maybe that's your cry this morning. Maybe you don't know Jesus, and that's your cry. Lord Jesus, I need your mercy today. Maybe you do know Jesus, and you're crying out, God, I need the assurance of this mercy that you've poured out on me today. Where is it? Where do you need his mercy and his love today? Where do you need to anchor your heart this morning in God's mercy and his love poured out? What do you need to say today to God about his mercy? And his love. How do you need to worship this morning in light of you were dead but now made alive? How do you need to go out of here today to live this week in light of this truth? And love and the mercy of God changes everything. Let me read for you again verses four and five. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning remembering your grace. How essential it is for us that without it, we are under wrath. Without it, we are your enemies. Without it, we are dead and lost. And there's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to change that but your grace. Because you are so great in love and rich in mercy, you provide a way for us. Lord God, I pray even now as we sing, God, that if, if for those who are here this morning who have never reached out, that, that right now would be a time where they say, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace that can bring me from death to life. Lord God, I pray for those of us here who know you, 
God, that we would again be stirred deep in our soul, that we would, we would respond in worship this morning for how amazing your grace is. We'd respond in how we live because of how amazing your grace is, that we were lost, we were blind, but now we've been found. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your life, the life we couldn't live, perfect, the death you died in our place, that you were raised again to conquer sin and death and Satan and ourselves so that we could now stand free. I pray this in Jesus' name.